Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. It's good to be back on the program. We took a couple of weeks off for the holidays, uh, but it's the first week of the new year, and we are here back in the studio, at least virtually. Uh, professionally, I am a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, tour operators, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And on some shows, we host uh, episodes about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have included topics as diverse and exciting and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York. About half of them did, believe it or not, including the soon-to-be former president. The history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in the city. We've looked at the history of African-Americans in the city. They've actually been here since the time of the Dutch. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. We've looked at the history of punk and opera in New York. Those were separate shows. Um, we've looked at our public library systems, New York being the great place that we are. We don't have one nor two. We have three public library systems. We've looked at some of our greatest train stations and even some of our bridges. Yes, New York has fabulous bridges, everybody. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're doing a little bit of a hybrid. We're not really looking at a neighborhood. We're looking at two streets, two streets in downtown. One is the famous Bowery. And the other is a little less well-known, except for the people who live in New York, and that's Allen Street. They're all both downtown. My first guest is uh, no stranger to rediscovering New York. It's returning guest Joyce Gold of Joyce Gold History Tours. Joyce is a recognized expert and educator in New York history, and for over 40 years has been guiding New Yorkers and visitors alike to rave reviews through private walking tours as well as tours open to the public. Joyce has published two guidebooks, From Windmills to the World Trade Center, A Walking Guide Through the History of Lower Manhattan, and From Trout Stream to Bohemia, A Walking Guide Through the History of Greenwich Village. Joyce has contributed entries to the Encyclopedia of New York City. And if all this wasn't enough, the New York Times has called Joyce, quote, the doyen of New York City tour guides, a level of recognition that any tour guide would relish. And we welcome Joyce back to Rediscovering New York. Welcome back, Joyce. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. And Happy New Year. Same to you. Um, you're not originally from New York, are you? No. Just to vary my presentation, I'd like to say I'm from a shtetl in Azerbaijan, but that would not be true. I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania, Hazleton, PA. How did you get involved in the work you do, specifically bringing New York's history to life for the people who were lucky enough to, to go on your tours? Well, by the mid-1970s, I was a computer analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York downtown, and I just picked up an old book, 100-year-old guidebook of New York about 100 years earlier than that, and it was just fabulous because it talked about streets in the 17th and 18th centuries that I walked uh, through every day between the subway and my office. So it started making New York much more interesting to me. Uh, places that I walked, I began to see in terms of levels of time. I could imagine what it looked like when the Native Americans were there, when the Dutch were there, when the British were there, etc. And I thought that that approach would be very interesting to other people who lived in New York. So that's when I started reading, and I've been re really reading and studying ever since. That takes us to the Bowery, the famous Bowery. It conjures up all kinds of images. Uh, we're going to talk about its history, but the first thing I wanted to ask you is how did the street get its name and why is it called the Bowery? It's kind of like the Bronx. That's exactly uh, right, and for somewhat similar reasons. Um, the Bow Bowery is the Dutch word for farm, and in the early 1600s or mid-1600s along it, were farms of some of New York's old families. 
And the Bowery went as far as the present uh, 11th Street, which was the farm, the Bowery, of Peter Stuyvesant, our last Dutch governor. He ruled for the last 18 of the 40 Dutch years. And so it came, uh, it had a couple of slightly different names. It was called the Bowery Road. It was called the Bowery Lane. And then in 1811, when the grid plan of streets was planned for future, uh, the future city of Manhattan, of New York, uh, that's when they changed it to the Bowery. But because the article had appeared on the previous two names, they kept it. It's one of the it's one of the biggest streets in downtown. Uh, and when was the Bowery as a street first laid out? When would well, we have seen it? Well, it's interesting because for many years it was the only uptown downtown street. Surprisingly, I think it predates Broadway as a street, and uh, it was the main road to get to downtown, which was basically where all the action of the city was, especially during the Dutch forty years. Was there anything along the Bowery in colonial times, aside from just farms? Would we have seen anything? Uh, Well, it was the place for the first free blacks to live in the city. Some of them lived in what is now Greenwich Village. But in uh, the first blacks come in 1626, two years after the Dutch arrived. And 18 years later, some of them are given what's called half-freedom. They were free, their children weren't. And along the Bowery was where some of them lived. So that's some of the earliest people that we know to have been there. There was also a big mill, I believe it was Bayard's Mill, uh, that helped make wheat for the community as well. So there were different things going on. There was a rope walk at some time, at some point, for example. If they made rope, they needed a kind of a straightaway to do it. And that was one of the things that happened early on on the Broadway. It had started, actually, as the Wikoskeek's path. It was an Indian path uh, for basically the uptown Indians. Uh, It's also, oh, yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. Uh, No, no, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Uh, um, You know, one of the things that I find interesting about the Bowery is some some streets, uh, if they were laid out uh, later on, um, they're wider. Or in some streets, like the second street we're going to talk about was actually widened. Uh, But the Bowery just seems like it was was that, it's it's really wide. I wonder why it, it was always that wide. Well, I think that traffic came through horses and carts, and there was just so much activity on it that that's why it was laid out that way. By the way, I'll scratch that about the Wequeskeek's path. That was something else altogether. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting to look at 16th century, 17th century maps where the only street up there is the Bowery. Bowery, wow. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit to the 19th century. You know, one of the things that I was really interested to to learn about was that streets uh, adjacent to the Bowery, sort of between Houston and maybe Fifth Street, uh, that was considered the ritziest part of town at one point. Yes, this is the way things changed in Manhattan. Everything, uh, commerce and industry and residential was all at one part at the southern tip. And then people of means began moving away from all of that a little bit to the north. And this process went on until the end of the 19th century, when uh, the island was pretty well covered over. So it was the Astor family, uh, John Jacob Astor and his brother Henry, who owned a a lot of property in that area. So it was considered very posh. Um, We're going to go past that, but I do want to mention one thing about that time uh, uh, is the neighborhood changed uh, and most of the families moved uptown. One family stayed there long past the time that it was fashionable. Those are the Treadwells. In fact, uh, uh, there's a a great house, which which, uh, is is beautiful. And to me, looks like it has all of its original detail on the facade. That's now called the Merchant's House Museum. Uh, It's on uh, East 4th Street. And Gertrude Treadwell, who was born in 1840, she actually died in that house in 1933. Uh, And one of the great things about it is that it's the only house in the city, old house that's open to the public that has all of its original furniture. It's almost like going into a time capsule, even the rugs. It's it's really remarkable to go in there. Uh, I love visiting. Yeah, the daughters who lived there always said, let's leave it the way it was in father's time. So they changed very little. Um, let's move toward the time of the Civil War when the Bowery became more of a place of entertainment. What would people have found along the street uh, back in those days? 
Well, there were shooting parlors where you tried to shoot a moving kind of uh, image of an animal and you would get uh, things for that. You would get rewards for that. There was increasingly more crime in the Bowery. I, I have an 18, a copy of an 1870s guidebook and also an 1890s guidebook. And it's, it's, there are more warnings in the 1890s uh, guidebook about why you shouldn't go there. There was all kinds of music. Now, one thing that I find so fascinating about the Bowery, which almost makes it uh, an image of the city at large, is that it was uh, for a very long time a division between different ethnic groups. In the 1860s and 70s, it was basically um, Irish on the east side and uh and something else on the west side, I'm blocking on that. By the 1890s, what had been Irish became Italian. It was German on the west side in the uh, west of the Bowery earlier on. And then by the 1890s, what had become German, what had been German becomes Jewish. And so there's such a mix of cultures that there's theater. There are many kinds of theater that appear on the Bowery. Uh, some of it was ethnic. There was Yiddish Yiddish theater beginning in the 1880s there, first place in the country to have Yiddish theater after it left Eastern Europe. You had Italian theater, Chinese theater. It was really quite wonderful, but you even had uh, classical theater. You had Shakespeare performed, especially at the Bowery Theater, and it was just such a wonderful mix of things. Did vaudeville get its start around the Bowery? Yes, it did. Uh, The Bowery was kind of a rough and tumble area for entertainment, but not too far north of it, say 10th Street and Broadway, was the shopping district called the Ladies Mile of New York, uh, basically from about the 1870s, 80s and 90s. And one of the showmen of the Bowery decided that he wanted to attract all the women that went to shop there. It was called the Ladies Mile because it was basically stores for women. Men shopped north of that. And so he wanted to start a new kind of theater called Vaudeville, where uh, there was no swearing. There was no off-color language or... Uh, Boring, in other words, no. <laughs> huh? Boring, in other words. Boring for men, perhaps, but (laughs) lovely for women and their children. And so that's where it all started. It was was a combination of many different kinds of acts. There could be an animal act. There could be all kinds of other things. And it was very appealing. Mm. Uh, We're going to take a break in a minute. I have one question, though. You you talked about the Ladies' Mile and and about retail. Um, Was there uh, a store that got its start in the Bowery more than 150 years ago that's still in New York today that most people would know? Yes, it happens to be one of my favorite stores, Hamucker Schlemmer. It's now on 57th Street, but Hamucker was from Germany. And so it was started on the Bowery. It's a place of wonderful, uh, unusual kinds of items. Mm. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Joyce Gold in this double episode about downtown streets, the Bowery and Allen Street. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. 
We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to Rediscovering New York and this episode about two special downtown streets in Manhattan, the Bowery and Allen Street. Uh, They were a little notorious in their time for different reasons. Uh, My first guest is returning guest, Joyce Gold of Joyce Gold History Tours. Joyce, um, of course, uh, people in your business, like most of us, have been impacted uh, very much in the pandemic. But you are now back to giving private tours. Um, Are there any ones particularly that are coming up in the near future and that you're especially fond of that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I've taken this opportunity, not having as many tours as I usually have, to design new routes. And the very newest, I think you've heard, is Fort Greene in Brooklyn. I was uh, asked to do it for years and finally realized that I should find out more about what I've been rejecting. And it is a fascinating neighborhood. So I'm really looking forward to giving that to people, uh, to real people, not just (laughs) to my neighbors. And uh, that's my newest one. Mm. Well, I wonder who uh, prodded you to do that one. <laughs> uh, in a green shirt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at least tonight. Um, Joyce, if, if our listeners wanted to find out more about your tours or to see your images, uh, maybe on Instagram, how could they do that? Well, my website is JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. And I lead over 40 different routes, 40 different neighborhoods, primarily Manhattan, but also Brooklyn. And they can see what's possible in terms of a private tour, which I'm offering right now. Private tours to groups of, uh, you know, up to 10 people to keep it nice and safe. I think in in the summer, though, I'll be offering my public walking tours. And people can just email me with their email address and when that schedule is ready, I'll be sure to get it to them. So it's JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. I have to say from personal experience, uh, your private tours are great. Uh, uh, not that you intended it this way. You did a new tour about uh, a Jewish uh, history in downtown New York, and it was a blustery day, and I was the only one who showed up, and I couldn't <laughs> believe I had 100% of your attention on that. That was, uh, that, was a, that was a tour to remember. Well, I love to do private tours because I'm, I'm able to pitch it to the particular interests of that private group. It could be an ethnic history, a religious history, a neighborhood history. And it allows me to bring some variety uh, more than what I usually do. Speaking about variety, let's go back to the Bowery and its uh, variety of entertainment Mm -hmm. back in the 1890s. Who was Big Tim Sullivan? Well, Big, you know, there was a boss run part of the Democratic Party in New York for many years, and it was called Tammany Hall. Different people in Tammany Hall pretty much controlled everything that happened in the neighborhood, and Big Tim Sullivan controlled the Bowery. He uh, very generously gave people help if they had hard times. He brought gifts to people if they had a wedding or if they had a funeral. Uh, He would give them rides on the Hudson River, and, you know, you were supposed to vote early and often for Tammany Hall candidates. (laughs) So that was Big Tim Sullivan. Uh, did Mozart have a connection to the Bowery? You wouldn't think that 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 Mozart or the Bowery would go along, but but I, I heard there was some you know something yeah. going on. Well, uh, Mozart's wonderful operas. He did the music, of course, but then Lorenzo de Ponte did the lyrics for it all, and Lorenzo de Ponte lived on the Bowery in the eighteen twenties and thirties. I believe he peddled fruit and did not make a lot of money doing that, but he became friendly with the son of the head of Columbia University, 
and uh, thereby got a job as the first professor of the Italian language in New York. So it's so interesting to hear the guy who wrote the words for Don Giovanni and many of Mozart's other other works was peddling fruit right downtown. He found his life in the Bowery. I love that. <laughs> Writer of the libretto to, to, to Don Giovanni in the Bowery. One thing that interests me so much about the Bowery, to me, it's the most diverse contrasting street in town. You still have uh, rather poor immigrant people, largely Asian American people there. And you have some of the newest things happening. And in even in this history, as we're talking about it, you have down and out things and you have people who are prosperous like the Astors and Lorenzo de Ponte with this fruit stand. But after the Bowery went down, uh, started to, to to get to the more distributable uh, mm-hmm. uh, adjectives, uh, you still had uptown people and tourists coming to the Bowery. Mm-hmm. Why did they come? What did they come for? Well, they like things that they can't get at home, whether it's uptown or out of town. And uh, people did strange things. They had, uh, they, it was crooked. It wasn't crooked. It was colorful. They had all of these performances. They had a mix of people. And that was something that you didn't get so much elsewhere. So those were some of the things they came for. You know, there's a very famous song called The Bowery that came out in the 1890s. And it's a song about a tourist in New York. And I think it really tells it all of the 1890s on the block. Uh, He said, uh, everybody said, don't go to the Bowery, go to Broadway. But there was the Bowery uh, filled with lights. And I had one of the devil's own nights and everything that could happen to, uh, you know, it's like the movie, The Out of Towners with Jack Lemmon. Everything that could happen to him happened to him. Uh, Everything from he wanted, he was in an auction and he wanted to buy socks. And the guy said, how much for the box? So he outbid the other bidders and he only got the box. There were no socks in it when he got it. And when uh, he was getting his hair cut and the barber talked too much and he said, cut it out. And the guy cut off all his hair and, you know, terrible things. (laughs) Well, you know, you mentioned people going to places where they can't get things. Uh, I'm going to ask you a moment about about sailors uh, on the Bowery. Um, uh, a really wonderful friend of mine, I think, whom you've met, his name is Jan Ewing. Um, he was in the Navy in the 60s, and he was an officer. Uh, and he used to uh, go around. Uh, he used to sort of supervise the Marines, the MPs at, uh, at, at points of call. And he said uh, all the sailors were told uh, by their officers where not to go. And, of course, they all went. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, especially in Naples, I won't tell you some of the things he told me they were saw on the street there. But um, I was really also pleased to learn not too long ago that the Bowery was a place in the 1890s where gay and lesbian people went to hang out to entertain themselves and be around each other in businesses and in a social environment. Mm-hmm. Um, why uh, did sailors go to the Bowery and what was it about the Bowery that had so many tattoo businesses open up there? Yes, uh, some advances in the tattoo business happened there. And it was also only a couple of blocks from the East River where a lot of sailors docked. And they heard it was colorful and they heard that, you know, things happened there that didn't have happen anyplace else. And so tattooing was a sign of what they wanted to basically wear on their arms on the ships. But one of my favorite stories about that is that, that t- tattoo parlors got a lot of business when the feds say we will not allow nude women on the arms of our sa- our U.S. sailors. So all the sailors had to go to get the tattoos covered over with clothing. <laughs> Got them a lot of business. I, I want to fast forward a little on a related question, not specifically related to the Bowery, but about tattoos. New York City banned tattooing from mm-hmm. 1964 to 1997. Yeah. Why? What, what was the reason for that? Well, they feared hepatitis from the needles. And so it was a health issue. And I guess they did something about it. I imagine they made sure that the needles were clean. And of course, now it's it's the rage. Well, speaking of sailors and uh, uh, gay and lesbian people, uh, the first YMCA started on the Bowery, didn't it? Yes, it did in the 1880s in a building that's just gorgeous. The, the YMCA, I think, started in New York because country boys would come to town to the big bad city and they wanted a good Christian place for them not to go astray. I think that's how it became popular. And uh, thanks to the village people, we know how popular it really was with boys (laughs) coming into the city. Um, 
Do you want to talk at all about the Bowery mission and, and, and what it, how it was founded and, and where it moved to? Well, the Bowery mission was one of a number of missions on that, on or right near that street to give soup or to give clothing or to help the people who were just down on their luck and down and out and in some ways couldn't fall any further down. Um, often there was some Christian message connected to it. You might get soup if you listen to the message. Uh, but this was this was what they did. They've now moved to, uh, they have a wonderful stained glass uh, window on the front of it on the Bowery. And it's uh, the biblical verse of the prodigal son, which I think is right there, very heartening. But they now are in Chelsea. Uh, they've moved the mission to, what is it, West 29th Street or something like that. And uh, much to the consternation of some of the people on that block. And more recently, after the Second World War, the Bowery developed a reputation uh, for people, uh, a lot of people around there being down and out. In fact, I can remember when we used to drive from New Jersey on the way to the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, there'd always be um, down and out people, you know, begging for cigarettes, begging for change from the car right on Bleecker Street, on the corner of Bleecker Street and the Bowery, uh, right before CBGB's opened up, I think. Um, when, when did that happen on the Bowery and when did that start to, to change? Well, as I say, in the 1880s, it was colorful. By the 1890s, it was a little more illegal and people were being held up. But it really started changing uh, to be something of what it was uh, afterwards in the 1920s. 1920s, of course, we had prohibition in the United States and um, illegal clubs were all over town. Now, people used to go to the Bowery to drink, but now there were all kinds of other places during prohibition that they could go. And so it lost a lot of their business, you know, all the other um, institutions there and entertainments were fed to some extent by the bars that were there earlier. So in the 1920s, it really started deteriorating. And in the 1930s with the depression, so many people had lost any money that they had that they started more flocking to that street. And that's what it became known for. Uh, The Bowery Bum was a New York kind of person. And uh, that was the institution that described it for decades. Well, let's talk about the revitalization. We're almost out of time. In the couple of minutes that we have left, do you want to talk a little bit about what the Bowery has seen in the last 15 years or so in terms of construction and new institutions? Yeah, well, I think starting from the northern end, uh, every time you passed a large cross street, it got a little bit more updated. And uh, there's the new museum there, uh, a, a very famous, uh, the Atlantic Gardens, just below Canal Street, Atlantic Gardens Theater site was recently demolished. They even did an archaeological dig there, and it's now a brand new hotel. Um, you have art galleries. Art galleries in New York, you know, <coughs> pardon me, are also often the sign that everything's changing and becoming more gentrified. So it is very much uh, changing. You know, artists often bring other people in to look at the art or to buy the art, and then then museums follow, and that's what's been happening on the Bowery. Mm. In fact, there's uh, a lot of uh, uh, beautiful residential development down there, uh, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I can show any of our listeners to if they want at some point. Joyce, uh, it's always great to have you on the show. It's always fascinating to, to speak to you about... Uh, your knowledge and your perspective and the color you bring to uh, illuminating the history of this great place that we live in. Thank you. Uh, Our first guest on this uh, show about two downtown streets has been Joyce Gold of Joyce Gold History Tours. You can read about Joyce's tours at JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest about another famous New York street, Allen Street. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it. 
the potential for a more rewarding life, a life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? Go to couragetochange.us. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back, and you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212 495 0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of this great place. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good morning, New York, with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 646- 306-4761. Well, our second guest is also in the touring business, but a little bit different. And we're going to speak with him also about some of his tours. It's Robert Brenner. Bob is a New York City tour guide, a certified member of the Guides Association of New York City, and a lifelong New York City history buff and adventurous eater. Bob started Pig Feet Walking Tours in 2014 because he was not able to find tours that covered the subjects that he was personally interested in. Since creating the company, he has led walking tours and created tours for a whole coterie of organizations, including the Historic Districts Council, of which I'm a member, Jane's Walk, the Municipal Art Society of New York, and the New York Public Library, as well as many others. His published works have appeared in New York Magazine, The Huffington Post, Salon, and many other publications. Bob Brenner, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Howdy, and uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It's always great to have people who are passionate about sharing this great city with other people on. Yeah, Joyce is going to be a tough act to follow. She she knows her stuff. I think you'll do just fine, especially with the content and some of the questions that I've lined up for you. Um, Home is where the heart is, and you live in Chelsea now. Are you from New York originally? No, no. I was was born in, much to my shame, I I was born and raised in Nyack, New York. Um, Very pretty in Nyack. It's nice. Well, it's it's a nice town. But I remember distinctly the day my parents told me they had moved out of the city to raise a family. I thought that was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. And I spent uh, all my my early uh, youth trying to get back into the city. I uh, started exploring the city on my own as a teenager in the mid-1970s, and I moved here permanently in the early 1980s when a lot of people were moving out. 
Well, my mom was of, a lifelong New York. Yeah, no, no, of course. You know, and uh, and I know your uh, your parents are from the Lower East Side. Um, you know, we share that in that I, I grew up in Manhattan Beach in Brooklyn, but uh, it was in the 70s when I was a teenager that I was able to uh, take the subway and sort of get, you know, an increased level of my freedom. And it was a tough time in New York. But, you know, when you're a kid and growing up, all you remember is the, is the access and the good things and the adventures. So uh, I, we uh, we share that. How did you first get interested in creating tours that were really unusual compared to what other people offer? And we'll talk a little bit about some of those uh, a little later on in the program. Well, uh, I kind of fell into it, really. I uh, met some people from uh, uh, the Times Square Alliance, and uh, we started talking about what Times Square was like in the 1970s because, you know, they seemed like Midnight Cowboy and Taxi Driver, but they, they, were, they were young people who had not experienced it firsthand. I said, and I started trying to describe it to them and say, wait, hold on. I could do a whole tour, and I could tell you, show you exactly what it was like and talk about what Times Square, the real Times Square was like in the in the uh, in the 1970s and from there it just it just snowballed from there and then each of the tours i've subsequently developed my own personal interest uh neighborhoods that i explored back in the day uh, or had other or had other connections mm-hmm. to well, right. Well, I'm going to ask you about some of your uh, unusual tours a little bit later. Um, for now, getting to Allen Street. Allen Street's a little bit below the Bowery. Um, when was it first actually laid out? When was there first a street there? Well, um, you know, it was originally part of the Delancey Farm. Uh, but by the beginning of the 19th century, uh, you have Allen Street, uh which is named after a famous uh, War of 1882 naval uh, naval hero, and it was at one point, you know, by the 1830s, it was kind of like a prosperous, you know, middle class, upper middle class uh, street, um, until of course the the coming of the dreaded elevated train, the Second Avenue L. What was Allen Street like right before they built the L train on, on Allen Street? And it, that would have been the Second Avenue L, that right? That, right. The second, came up the, the second Avenue, mm-hmm. which which is strange, which is of course strange because Allen Street is first Ave, is ties into First Avenue. We'll talk about that later. Uh, it was a proper, it was a prosperous, it was a prosperous middle class uh, uh, neighborhood uh, street. And then the and then the Second Avenue Elk came, and it really changed. And it really changed everything. Within a generation, Allen Street was a very different part of street. And it's funny you, you described it in the opening as a famous street. It became an infamous street. It became the center of the Jewish red light district. So what was the, the thing I heard about if you were being called in by a young lady? It wasn't for right, a minion. <laughs> right, right. It's a famous, famous judge, uh, Jonah Goldstein said, if you, if you saw a woman beckoning to you on Allen Street, she wasn't calling you to, to a, a minion. Uh, it became uh, filled with um, what they called cider stews, which were, you know, basement dive bars and uh, what they called uh, tolens, uh, which was, sl- which was, you know, slang, for for uh, prostitutes, Thailand, of course, is you know the stew that you keep hot and ready to serve on the uh, Sabbath. You get the idea. Always hot and ready to serve. That's where the uh, slang came from. You know, we have we have elevated trains now, not in Manhattan. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. In uh, on the upper Manhattan, the uh, the one train is elevated for a short stretch. But you know, there are elevated trains in lots of other parts in the city, and I grew up around them in Brooklyn. Uh, with the Brighton Line uh, in Bensonhurst. Uh, you see them now in, in Brooklyn and Queens. But I took a look at the picture that's on your website of the L train on Delancey Street. I have never seen a darker street, you know, uh, under, uh, uh, you know, under an L train before. Did Allen Street change in ways, Bob, um, after the L train or, uh, was built in ways different from streets where other L trains were constructed, like but- further the 2nd Avenue, further uptown, the 3rd Avenue L, the 6th and the and the Ninth Avenue L's? Well, first of all, you have to understand, Allen Street was actually one of the narrowest streets in New York City. And normally you would never put an L, an elevated train down a narrow street like uh, like Allen Street. Uh, but the Second Avenue L, which did go down Second Avenue, was mysteriously rerouted at 23rd Street. They put it, they pushed it over one block east and it went down First Avenue and then it went into Allen Street. And Allen Street was completely covered by the elevated train. 
and it became known as the street where the sun never shines. And it just existed in perpetual darkness. And there is a correlation uh, between vice crimes and that kind of uh, that kind of elevated train that totally covers the streets. Uh, uh, they, you know, historians have looked at uh, data tracking vice arrests and drugs, gambling, prostitution, uh, uh, some uh, some pickpocketing and uh, mugging, of course. Uh, you find that all you find that around elevated trains that like totally cover the street. Mm. Well, we're going to talk about the the dark side of Allen Street history, but first, I want to ask you a question about the people who moved there um, before all this happened. The Lower East Side was home to hundreds of thousands of German immigrants in the middle of the 19th century, and later in the 19th, many Eastern European Jews. One thing that was particular about the Lower East Side was that the Jewish immigrants from different places in Europe actually concentrated themselves in parts of the neighborhood where other people from where they were from did. Uh, we call them Lonsmen, you know. Um, do we know if there were concentrations of Jewish immigrants along Allen Street from any specific parts of Europe? Would you have heard different languages yes. on Allen Street? Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Um, up uh, around Rivington, there is a, there is a uh, Romanian uh, synagogue, not synagogue uh, uh, anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, private, it's private housing now. Um, so that was a Romanian Jewish center. Um, a little uh, further south, I'm, I'm blocking on the cross street now, there is a Greek uh, synagogue, which is still in, which is still in uh, uh, use. I think it's uh, near so, Orchard Street. Um, yeah, so uh, a little further down. I forget yes. the uh, I forget the cross street. Um, but yeah, there were Greek and Romanian Jews uh, in those sections uh, of Allen Street, and and for for better or worse, and I suspect because they were probably a minority within a minority. People would say, "Oh, you know those Greek and Romanian Jews. Oh, you know they're all they're they're all uh, tied up with the uh, with the uh, with the vice trade on on Allen Street." Wow. Um, so not only selling uh, uh, schmatas. <laughs> yes, uh, selling a few other things possibly. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Bob Brenner of Walking, of sorry, Pig Feet Tours. Pig Feet Walking Tours. Pig, Pig Feet Walking Tours, and I'm going to ask you about those tours. Uh, when we come back, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back 
weekend, you're back to Rediscovering New York and this episode about the Bowery and Allen Street. My second guest is tour guide Bob Brenner. He is the founder and owner of Pig Feet Walking Tours. Bob, I got to ask you the first question about your company. How'd you come up with the name? It's uh, it's it, it's certainly original. Oh, it it came up as you know, kind of uh, as I said, I'm interested in history and uh, and adventurous uh, eating. And then uh, uh, when I was thinking about walking tours, uh, well, I really like Pig Feet, and uh, Pig Feet is one of these things that cross many different uh, uh, cuisines. I've had Chinese Pig Feet, Japanese, Dominican. French, Spanish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, all right, let's call it Pig Feet uh, Walking Tours. Um, it's, it's a memorable ma- name. It seems to stick in people's minds, so I've stuck with it. Hmm. What are a few of the tours that you created and that you offer that are your favorites? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're all your favorites. But <laughs> they're, all the favorite. they're, they're, they're all my favorites. They're all my children. They're all – they're all uh, – uh, they're all uh, my children – you know, I do uh, Times Square uh, in the 1970s, uh, of course. I do uh, I do the uh, Tenderloin in the uh, in the 18 in the 1890s. Uh, you may sense this kind of theme here in, in a lot of these tours. Yeah, we'll ha- we'll uh, have you back on the program where we uh, and, and and we'll have an episode about about that. What I'm mo- what I'm most proud about uh, branching out. I do I'm doing a tour of. Yorkville in the 1930s when Yorkville was a center of Nazi activity. Um, I, you know, I, when I do tours, I like to do things about stuff that people may be uncomfortable talking about or don't know that much about. And this is a period that people people try to brush over in, in Yorkville. But I think this is, a, this is a fascinating part of New York history. And there was lots of pro and anti Nazi activity in that in that neighborhood in at that in the run up to World War Two, and I think that's that's a story that should be told. Yeah, absolutely. We actually uh, last year, uh, and this is on podcast, we had an episode about Yorkville, and we do talk about um, uh, uh, Nazi sympathizers and also the Bund, which was very yeah. yeah. German American Bund had their headquarters on East Eighty Fifth Street. That's mm. like a whole of that's again that's the whole of tour though. Um, I'm I guess you're offering uh, some online programming now as well. Right, right. Well, actually, right, right now, I basically tabled my my physical touring uh, for the duration. You know, once once the vaccine becomes widely distributed, I'll, I'll reevaluate. Uh, but I've been doing uh, webinars uh, for New York Adventure Club. As a matter of fact, I have two webinars uh, uh, coming up uh, uh, in January. On January fifteenth, I will be doing New York City in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties. Uh, covering uh, Times Square, Canal Street, Lower East Side, Greenwich Village, and the Meatpacking District, because those were the neighborhoods that, in my misspent youth, I spent a lot of time in those neighborhoods. I'll be talking about that. And on January 22nd, I will be doing a tour of... I'll be doing what I call Nazi New York. Uh, they call it uh, World War II home front spies, uh, saboteurs, and uh, sympathizers, most of which is uh, uh, set in Yorkville. So those and are both pe- coming up. And people can find out about your programming at pigfeetwalkingtours.com, correct? They can come to, pigfeet, uh, they come to me at pigfeetwalkingtours.com uh, or on my Facebook page, which is also called pigfeetwalkingtours.com. And, of course, these two webinars are, of course, also up on uh, New York Adventure Club's page now. Well, going to the dark side and the dark side of Allen Street, um, let's talk about the, uh, the gun battle. There was a famous gun battle in 1903 along Allen Street. What happened? Yeah. Oh yes, yes. The uh, the uh, the five pointers versus the the Eastman. Um, this was a running gun battle between two rival street gangs. It started uh, the northwest corner of Houston and Allen Street, and culminated at uh, at uh, Rivington and Houston Street. And that result, uh, two people killed, three people wounded. Which doesn't sound like a lot to us today. Unfortunately, we become we become very jaded uh, about gun violence. We're used to you know mass shootings where dozens, if not hundreds, of people are killed. But this was like a really big deal back then. It made all the local news. It made the national news. It made the international news, and it really sealed Allen's Street's reputation as you know a dangerous street. 
a bad street, a bad, uh, bad neighborhood. Uh, these two gangs involved, the Five Pointers and the Eastman, they were fighting for control over the vice business on Allen Street. Um, the uh, Five Pointers, they were uh, uh, primarily an Italian gang, and they controlled the territory mostly west of the Bowery. Uh, the Eastmen were primarily a Jewish gang, and they controlled most of the territory to the east uh, 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 the Bowery, and they were having a disagreement about who was going to control Allen Street. Well, let's talk about the Rosenthal murder. There was a pretty uh, uh, um, grisly murder uh, down on Allen Street around this time, uh, and there were Jewish gangsters. Uh, right. w- what happened? Well, um, I should say Herman Rosenthal wasn't actually killed on Allen Street. Uh, he was murdered up on Forty. Uh, he, was uh, mur- right, right. he was murdered up on Forty Second Street. Uh, but Herman, um, he he ran what was called a Stuss House. Um, and not his wasn't up on on Allen Street. It was further. It was it was further uptown, but it impacted Allen Street. Um, and Stuss was his game. It's sometimes called Jewish Pharaoh. I've never played this card game. But apparently, it was very popular at the time. And uh, he ran this Stuss house. And like most people running Stuss houses, he paid off the cops to look off look the other way. Uh, but for some reason, and maybe the cops didn't like him. Maybe there were other rival gangsters trying to force him out of the biz. His Stuss house kept getting raided by the police. And so I said, oh, you know, I've had it. I'm going to go to the press. I'm going to tell them the whole story. I'm going to go to the district attorney. I'm going to turn state's witness. I'm going to blow the whole lid off the whole rotten uh, Jewish gangster police uh, connection. And he was gunned down in the street before he could testify. He was he was shot multiple times. He he died, and um, this was frankly a huge embarrassment to the Jewish community, because just about everyone involved in this incident was Jewish. Uh, Rome, Rosenthal, the hitman, the getaway car driver, uh, uh, the rival mobsters who allegedly put the contract out on on Rosenthal. So this was a huge uh, embarrassment uh, to the uh, Jewish community. And this is when they felt like they had to uh, get tough on Jewish gangsters and, and try and clamp down on, on, on Jewish vice rackets on, on the Lower East Side, including on, especially on Allen Street. And who was Detective Abraham Schoenfeld? Uh, oh, yes, a Jewish vice detective. Uh, first, uh, there was this organization called the Kahila, uh, which basically was trying to bring together all the uh, all the different sort of, you know, rival Jewish factions, German Jews, Russian Jews, religious Jews, secular Jews, capitalist Jews, communist Jews. We're, we're a very fractious bunch. Um, but the Kahila was trying to be the umbrella organization. And after the Rosenthal murder, they hire Abraham Schoenfeld as a detective. And basically what he does is he goes undercover and he starts visiting all these different uh, uh, brothels and uh, gambling joints and whatever and carefully collecting evidence and then turning that over to the mayor. And as a result, closing down a lot of, a lot of these businesses. Mm. Who were Lizzie and Maddie? Oh, Lizzie and Maddie. The, the yes, uh, those, those uh, before uh, before Rosen uh, before uh, Schoenfeld uh, closed them down. They were the uh, known as the two hardest working whores on the Lower East Side. Um, uh, if I may put it bluntly, uh, I'm going to try and keep. I'm trying to keep it somewhat clean. I don't know this uh, family show, um, but yeah, uh, Schoenfeld was shocked to discover that they had each been turning. Uh, 10 tricks a day every day except for Saturday of course for like the last <laughs> except one, Saturday except <laughs> Saturday uh, and they've been doing this for like 25 years and he did the math and they say oh my god they've done 50,000 tricks in their in their in their in their in their in their long uh, in their uh, long illustrious uh, career um so he shut them down. Um, you know, unfortunately, they probably came to a bad end. As recidivists, they were probably uh, uh, confined on, on you know, Blackwell Island. And they were probably buried in a pauper's grave on Hart's Island. Uh, if Hart Island ever goes uh, forward with their project to make 
you know, to uh, look into the records. I'd like to try and you know track uh, track them down um, and uh, and see and see what happened to them. Well, we're almost out of time, Bob, but I want to briefly ask you, uh, Allen Street was widened and then also the L train came down. Did that change the nature of what Allen Street was? Uh, well, you you think it would, but it didn't. Allen Street was widened in 1941. Uh, the 2nd Avenue L was torn down in, excuse me, widened in 1931. The Second Avenue L was torn down in 1942. It was one of the last L's to come down in Manhattan. But uh, but even doing all that, Allen Street still remained a center of the prostitution into the into the 1990s. Uh, the you know, the Jews and Italians moved out. The Chinese and the Puerto Ricans moved in. But it was, it was still a you know a immigrant uh, poor immigrant striver neighborhood and allen street was still a center of uh, prostitution mostly street walkers and then of course um along comes a, a certain serial killer by the name of joe rifkin infamous serial killer well it uh it seems like then what happened on allen street beginning in the 1990s is similar to what happened on the bowery whereas the neighborhood changed for the better and there was some city projects to beautify the median Bob, I would love to talk to you more about this, but we're out of time. Um, we'll have you back on the show, especially to talk about the Tenderloin. We'll have a really juicy, uh, no pun intended, uh, uh, episode uh, uh, about that. Well, everyone, our second guest on the show about the Bowery and Allen Street has been Bob Brenner. Bob is the founder and the creator of Pig Feet Walking Tours. If you have comments or questions about this show or would like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, Mortgage Strategists at Freedom Mortgage, and the Law Offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead. I'm sorry, at Brown Harris Stevens now in New York City. We consolidated. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, including downtown and around Allen Street, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Sturrier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. www.talkradio.nyc Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges 
business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.